Does our country need a declaration of dependence? Find out on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Last week, I shared with you the issue of the Super Bowl halftime show and how I felt like it was completely inappropriate uh, and how we need to be proactive as the ones who set the culture to respond accordingly when something like that is exposed to us and to our children. Today, I want to talk about another issue that happened uh, just in the last uh, two or three weeks. And it occurred, and I'm sure many of you are aware of what happened, uh, when President Trump delivered his State of the Union address. At the end of the State of the Union address, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, stood up and uh, quite uh, purposefully Uh, tore up the written transcript of the State of the Union address that was just delivered by President Trump. Now, I want to address this because I believe it's such a great example of what we have been talking about in this podcast, and I would refer you to episode three of the podcast about honor versus anger. Honor is a difficult word, especially when we disagree with somebody or we feel like their behavior is something that we can't agree with. But I would submit to you that even after Nancy Pelosi did this, that we still need to honor her. Now, you may say that was not an honorable act, and she doesn't deserve our respect based on this behavior. But she is still our elected official as the Speaker of the House, and the Bible is actually very clear of how we are supposed to approach those who are government officials above us. And we are supposed to approach them with a spirit of submission and honor. But I believe that her actions was such a great example of what happens when we dishonor. Her action was clearly dishonorable toward our sitting and elected president. And the crazy part is, is that by doing that, she is actually closing the door to the very thing that she wants to see changed. That's what dishonor does. Dishonor closes the door of dialogue uh, to those even to whom we disagree and creates an environment where nothing can be accomplished or changed. Now, I believe that she needs to be held accountable for her actions, and I believe that we can do that as American citizens. With honor, we can still hold her accountable to the things that she did. I think it's completely valid to ask her about the transcript and the things that were written in the transcript, like the serviceman who surprised his family and showed up in the gallery after serving our country. We can ask her an open-ended question, why did you tear that up? Or the young man who wanted to someday be an astronaut. Or the statistic that of all new jobs, 72% of new jobs went to women. Why did she tear that up? We can ask those questions 
in an honorable way to hold her accountable for her actions and the things that she says. I think it would be so much better to change the culture in Washington, and it requires personalities and people who are intentional about honor. And that's what I'm calling for in this podcast. Wouldn't it be different if somebody holding the position that Nancy Pelosi holds says to her constituents, I am going to choose to honor our president. No, maybe even better. I'm going to choose to honor my president. I think if she said that, and she said, I'm going to honor him so as to keep a door open that we can dialogue together to create real and effective change for our country. I believe her constituents, I believe those of us who follow politics would respect and look at her in higher esteem as she begins to engage the president in a spirit of honor that allows dialogue and forward movement. But instead, there is this culture, especially in Washington, that to honor someone implies that you agree with them. And they don't want even for a second for the other side to feel that they're in agreement. I understand there's a political machine at play, and, and I, I'm not naive to, well, I'm probably somewhat naive. I don't fully understand all of the politicking that takes place, especially behind closed doors. However, I understand politics aside, I believe the most effective way to actually create change, which is why I believe they're elected in the first place, <laughs> maybe I'm very naive, but I believe the reason they're, effect they're elected in the first place is to actually bring about real change for the people that they represent. And the way that we do that is to honor one another to begin the dialogue that brings change. Now, I understand that President Trump is not guiltless in this honor war, and he has gone after people that I believe his verbiage and his tweets and, and the way that he engages our culture can be dishonoring as well. So I believe it takes personalities and it takes intentionality to create a change. Now, the other piece to this, and I would like to talk about this more in future podcasts, is that politicians know what works and they want to appeal to their base. And their base may look at Nancy Pelosi tearing up the transcripts and say, I applaud that. She's brave. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And so I understand that they know what works. So part of the responsibility is on us. Yes, the politicians need to be intentional and they need to act out the realm of honor in the realm and sphere of influence that they're in. But we as the voters, we need to stand up and say no longer is this bitter partisan dishonor going to be something that we elect. What would it take for a politician to stand up and say, I am going to honor the opponent so that we can create real change for our country? And then if we stand up and applaud and we vote for that, guess what? The politicians will change. They will fall into the pattern of appealing to their constituents and what they want. It's supply and demand. I referred to this at the last podcast. It's supply and demand. If the demand is that real change takes place and real dialogue occurs in Washington, then the supply side will come into, align, into alignment and fill that void. See, 
the Heavenly Father created us to be relational. And that's why this podcast is titled The Declaration of Dependence. Because we were actually designed to need each other. If we think that we can live on an island and, and maintain an American independence, not only in our country, but from each other, then we have misinterpreted the Father's heart. He created us as relational beings. And he wants us and desires us to need each other. In fact, he designed us, he, he, he didn't design any of us to be complete pieces. But he fashioned us together as the body of Christ, all to fulfill different roles. And he did it so that we could do it together. And most importantly, in relationship with him. See, I believe that our country has a declaration of independence. Now, historically, we know that this document served a purpose as we pursued independence from a tyrannical king. But one thing that can start out noble, I believe, can actually turn into a spirit, into a negative spirit. As I've mentioned on several podcasts already, I'm a big Vikings fan. <laughs> and I grew up and still am cheering the Vikings. I enjoy the, the competitiveness of it. I just enjoy the sport entirely. When I was a younger man in my late teens and early 20s, I was very into the Vikings and, and would watch them on Sunday. And I'm embarrassed to admit that my mood would often shift based on whether the Vikings won or not. <laughs> I'm just being transparent with you, my listener. <laughs> I took it too seriously. And I remember the Lord actually speaking to me and explaining to me that, you know, football is supposed to be a fun thing. And, and I, had, I had two choices, he told me, that I could watch it for fun or I could stop watching. <laughs> because when something like this affects my mood, it actually becomes a spirit. See, I don't believe enjoying sports or watching football is inherently evil. But when it becomes a spirit, when it affects my mood, it affects the way I treat other people, then it becomes a negative spirit. And something good can actually turn into a negative spirit. I believe that the Declaration of Independence is one of the most powerful, important, wonderful documents ever written. It was intentional and it was worthwhile. But if we're not careful as a country, we can actually have a veil or an umbrella over us as a declaration of independence. And we actually, what started out as something as a noble spirit can turn into an oppressive or a depressive spirit. I have a lot of God encounters on my riding lawnmower. I call it riding lawnmower revelation. <laughs> See, a lot of parents raise their children to mow their lawn for them. When you're a father of eight children, I actually look at my riding lawnmower time as sort of me time. And I, I actually guard it and covet it 
quite closely and I have not yet even given that up to my children because I enjoy it. I enjoy the time uh, out in the fresh air. I enjoy the white noise and I'm able to get lost in my thoughts. And oftentimes I have conversations with the Lord on my riding lawnmower. And I hope many of you know that the Father isn't afraid of our questions. He probably chuckles at a few of them, uh, but he's not afraid of them. And I remember one time I was on my riding lawnmower and I was frustrated because I just was reading a, a powerful book about miraculous healings that were taking place in India. I heard about other testimonies taking place in Argentina or Africa. And I was frustrated because I was saying, Lord, why are we seeing these incredible and miraculous breakthroughs in other countries? And yet, I don't see it as much here. It doesn't mean it's not happening here, but it doesn't seem to be happening in the magnitude of these testimonies that we hear abroad. And he spoke to me and he told me that our country is living under a declaration or a spirit of independence. See, our God is a relational God. And he desires us to desire him. It's true for any relationship. Think about it. He desires us for, to desire him. See, God is not afraid of darkness. He is willing to go to the darkest places on the planet and pillage the darkness and claim territory for his kingdom. But he will not go where he is not needed or should I say, where he is not required. Think about our Western mindset and even the way that we, quote unquote, do church. Oftentimes we go into church meetings, and if we're honest with ourselves, we can have the mindset that it would be good if God showed up in a powerful way. But it's not necessary. It would be good but it's not required. And I'm telling you that God is drawn, the kingdom of heaven is drawn towards hunger. And I maybe would even go so far as to say desperation for him. There's like a vacuum. There's like a pull on heaven when we are desperate and drawing from him, a need for him. But instead we live with an American mindset See, I was raised as an all-American kid, and, and, and even I had it ingrained into me through our culture that we are to, are to be independent people, a self-made man, independently wealthy. And we scoff and, and shrug at trust fund children because they didn't earn it. We have the mindset, I don't need anyone, and no one can tell me what to do. I need my own stuff, my own ways, my own ideas. It's the independent American mindset. And, we, and if we're honest with ourselves, we look at that and we applaud it and say, yeah, that's the American way. But my friends, we are interested in the culture of heaven because we know that it's the best way. The culture of heaven actually allows no room for independence. See, 
I believe our founding fathers actually understood this. I believe they understood that there is a danger in actually having a declaration of independence as a cultural truth over our country. Let me read to you what John Hancock wrote. He was the first signer of the Declaration of Independence. And this is what he wrote. Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence on God. Nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. See, I believe he understood the founding principle. He understood the nobility of resisting a king who was putting the colonists under his feet. And he realized the importance of becoming an independent entity. But he also realized that they needed to be steadfast and have a proper sense of dependence on God. They understood our culture from the beginning. You see, my friends, the adage, God helps those who help themselves, is not in the Bible. <laughs> I've heard many people say, the good book says, God helps those who help themselves. That is not a biblical truth. Actually, that was spoken by Benjamin Franklin. In fact, I would challenge you to find any place in the Bible where scripture encourages us to be independent people. I believe it's quite the opposite. It says that God is a jealous God and he wants to be the one upon whom we are dependent. There was even the story of the uh, Israelites wanting to have a king. And God's response was, why do you need a king? And they said, well, everybody else has one. And he resisted their request because he wanted them to be fully and totally dependent on him. It's his voice and his presence in our lives, which is still today. He, it's still what he is wanting us to be dependent on. See, we try to equate independence and freedom. Where we really find that true freedom is found on complete dependence of the Father. Now, I believe that there has been no greater devastating effect than this independent spirit and mindset on our marriages. As I introduced to you from the beginning of this podcast, I'm a family minister and, and, and my wife and I and our family have passion for families and marriages. I believe that marriage is the foundational relational piece that actually can bring cultural transformation on this earth. And marriage was set up in Genesis from the very beginning of time with a co-mission that they would be drawn together by the heart and the destiny of the Father to accomplish something here on this earth that couldn't be accomplished apart from one another. Remember, he's a relational God and it's part and, and, and central to his heart that we work together in the covenant of marriage. And if we reject the co-mission and pursue self-mission, then it actually undermines the very heart of the father that he had for marriage from the beginning. 
See, there is a mindset where we think that we can become one with one another and still be independent. Remember, it's the American way. It's ingrained in our mind and ingrained in our culture. But Jesus, in Matthew chapter 19, he he says, and he answered them and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. See, Jesus quotes Genesis and then reiterates that they are no longer two, but one. I believe he reiterated it because he knew that our human flesh sense would try to maintain independence even though we were married. And he is saying, no, you are no longer two individual entities. You are one. It actually leaves no room for independence. And I know that's sometimes even hard to hear when we as Americans are, have an independent mindset and it's so ingrained in who we are. But I would submit to you that wedding vows are a declaration of dependence. A declaration of our dependence on one another. See, independence creates disunity. And that's in marriages where we begin to have power struggles. If you would ask most couples in marriage, what are, what are you hungry for? What do you desire? Almost everyone would say, I want to be unified. I want to have, have a spirit of unity in our marriage. Well, unity is an is a action word. It's a unity of purpose. It's what we can do together that cannot be done apart. It's implied in the commission that was given to every marriage from the very beginning of time. And I believe that there's been this domino effect that has occurred in marriages where we believe that we can be independent. That creates a disunity in marriage. We then begin to have power struggles and we begin to see the other as an adversary rather than our one flesh. And that leads to a cycle of disillusionment and an incredibly high divorce rate. And my friends, as sad as it is, the divorce rate in the church is all as not all that better than what we're seeing in the secular world. And that needs to shift. It needs to change, and it changes at the very core of who we are and the culture that the Father created for marriage from the very beginning of time. See, it's the way he designed it. He's a relational God, and we need each other. We need each other in our marriages. We need each other in our government. We need each other like Nancy Pelosi needs Donald Trump. <laughs> to create any kind of real change and forward progress in our country. It's how we need each other in our lives and how we ought to be dependent on each other and how we need to pull from each other's gifts so that we can create a spirit of unity even in the body. See, I believe that we need to pursue a culture of marriage. See, we can become entrenched in conventional thinking. But we need to lean into his culture, what he originally created for us. I would like to invite you to look into my book called The Ultimate, Restoring the Culture 
of marriage. You can find this book and learn more about it by going to our website, gofam.org, G-O-F-A-M dot O-R-G. Look into the premise of this book because it's, it's going to be different than what you have heard before. See, we can become entrenched in the way that we've always thought about something and not realized that our good is different than his good. And I submit to you that his good is gooder than our good. (laughs) His good is way gooder than our good. And we need to lean into what he initially intended for our marriages and then drop a plumb line from that place and set our culture based on his truth not what we always just have considered to be true. I promise you this book will will be different than what you've heard before. And it will actually create a freedom and a breakthrough in your marriage in the way that you look to each other and towards each other. The ultimate, restoring the culture of marriage. I invite you to obtain a copy of this book. Read it together as a couple or as a as a a, uh, couple's group and lean into the cultural aspects of what he has for you and for your marriage. The declaration of dependence. It's a powerful and a wonderful thing. It feels countercultural to the way that we were raised and the way that we think. But it's the key to breakthrough for your marriage, for your family, for your relationships, for our culture as a whole. So now let's go together and shape the culture.